1: Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. This week, Ashley is not with us. She's not quite on her maternity leave. She'll be back next week, and then she'll be taking some time off to have her baby and spend some time with her husband and and newborn. This week, I have a really special guest, and that is Rebecca Hargraves. And Rebecca, for those that are not familiar with you and some of the Different projects you're working on. Could you share a little bit about yourself and your background?
0: Sure, I'd love to. Well, first, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I've been listening for a while, and of course, um, you and I have kind of struck up a friendship lately. And um, so, it's a lot of fun to be here. Yes, so it is. I, it's great to have you. Thank you. Yeah, I am um, Rebecca Hargraves, and um, from Tennessee. Well, not originally, but. <laughs> We're in Tennessee now. That's where you're at now. (laughs) Yes. And my husband, Owen, and I, um, we have two little ones, Anna and James. And um, in addition to keeping up with them during the day, um, I nanny, actually, another little girl and homeschool her. And um, in the mornings, though, before the whole house wakes up (laughs) and gets going, I write, um, I have a blog. Um, actually released a book recently. Uh, it's entitled Lies Moms Believe and How the Gospel Refutes Them. And it really goes through and, and just covers lies that moms struggle with, um, pertaining to motherhood, pertaining to how they view themselves as moms, um, lies about their kids, about their parenting choices, just a lot of different things. And we look at specifically what the word of God has to say about those different lies. Um, And my goal with that was just to show how practical and applicable the word of God in general, and then even just the gospel specifically, um, how relevant those are to just our everyday life um, as moms and just, you know, other roles that we may have. Um, And I also have a podcast. And so that's a lot of fun. And um, I have the opportunity to interview a number of different women and fellow authors or just, you know, women that are um, passionate about ministering to others and spreading the word. And so it's a full life, but (laughs) it's a lot of fun. What's your
1: podcast called?
0: It's the Home and Hearth Podcast.
1: Okay. And we're going to link in the episode notes. We're going to link Rebecca's blog. We're going to link her podcast. We're going to link some specific things that you've written that will fit into our topic today. We're going to link um, to your book. And I think we're giving away a copy of your book yes. this week, too. So um, if you're interested in getting a copy of this book, go to our Facebook page. I'll put a link on Twitter also, and there'll be information on how you can be entered for a chance to get a copy of her book. And before we get kind of into the subject, I would just like to ask you a little bit about your book, what What is it that kind of encouraged you to write that book? Were there things in your own life that you said, I think this is something that I think women could benefit from?
0: It's really funny because I, I was asked that recently on another podcast. And it's funny because my answer is always, this was not my original book topic idea. <laughs> I My original idea is actually going to be one that I work on next. But the original idea was to just have a book on the mommy wars and how they're affecting the church, you know, in a negative way. Um, but lies moms believe was going to be an article originally for my blog. And before I actually sat down to really dive into it though, um, the thought popped into my head and looking back, I feel like that was totally the Lord, um, guiding me, but the thought popped into my head that, well, why don't you just, you know, share on Instagram and Facebook that you're working on this article and, Kind of reach out and see if other moms have any input and have any lies to share about that they've struggled with personally. Because um, at first I was just going to write an article about three to five lies that I've struggled with and leave it at that. But I thought, well, I'll just see if anyone is interested in sharing their own um, experience. And I was blown away by the number of responses that I got, and it it just hit me that this is something that was resonating and. I mean, just so many moms like, oh, I struggle with this lie. Oh, I struggle with this or mommy guilt or postpartum body image issues or feeling like I have to do it all or be the perfect mom or whatever it was. Just so many women shared their thoughts. And then I thought, well, instead of an article, because this is way too long for an article at this point, (laughs) I thought maybe just a short little ebook, like a little a freebie on my blog or something. And again, though I just kept getting more responses and one thing led to another. And I realized that this was the length of a actual full length book. I think when I finished writing it, the word count was like 60 something thousand. I mean, it's actually, you know, a, a full length book and it blew me away because it wasn't my original plan, but it has honestly been of all the things I've written, of all the podcast episodes I've recorded, it has been the most impactful thing, even just for me, because I, you know, I set out to write it to encourage other moms, but I found myself as I was writing it, you know, in order to refute these lies, I had to dive into the word. (laughs) And so as I'm studying the word and, and seeing what it says about these various things, I realized that there were lies that I didn't realize I'd been believing That as I started to address them in the book, um, you know, specifically addressing ones that, you know, someone had sent in, I realized I had been struggling with those, just even maybe on a subconscious level. And so it has taken me from, you know, reading the passage, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's taken me from just being someone who read that and then went on with my life to actually realizing that that is a command. That's something that you you do intentionally. And in order to do so, you have to actually stop (laughs) and take a moment and think that's not true. And then think, okay, what is true? And so you have to know the word. And so it's just, it's changed my, literally my day-to-day life, even just having been the one that wrote it. I I feel like it ministered to me and I hope it ministers to others, but I, I feel like in some ways the Lord wanted me to go through that process for my own thinking too. And, um, so he definitely had a plan because (laughs) it wasn't my original idea, but, um, I can see that it was what was supposed to happen. It's just been really neat. Um, and I've gotten some sweet emails from moms and, um, it's just been neat to see how, you know, we think we have a plan, but the Lord just totally explodes it and it it surpasses anything we could think.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And isn't it isn't it great when you work on a project? Well, first of all, how the Lord uses it in your own life. And and that's happened even with with me with the podcast. There's been there's been subjects where we say, Okay, well, we're gonna do an episode on on such and such and I'll spend a lot of time reading and researching and and I just learned so much just even through that process before we even get to recording the podcast and the Lord has used those things in in my life just in unexpected ways you know kind of and but isn't it wonderful too when you get those emails and those messages and and somebody reads what you've written or in our case the podcast and you know it just so encouraging to me Mm -hmm. Ashley and I just got one this week that both of us were just blown away and encouraged by oh that's just always
0: such a blessing.
1: Yeah, it 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 really is, and so if you're one of the people out there that's written me and I haven't gotten back to you, I I apologize for that because I know I am so guilty of that. And
0: I'm the worst. But,
1: <laughs> yeah, but every there isn't a message I've gotten that hasn't meant so much to me. So I I do want to say that I I am curious. One thing we've talked about, and I I can't remember if it was on the Mommy Wars or what point we talked about. And that is kind of the idols that women
0: mm-hmm.
1: and moms tend to have. Yeah. And I've talked about how I taught uh, a study. We, we did a book group just with um, our homeschooling moms from our homeschooling co-op. And my friend that was PCA and I kind of taught through it. And it was the book peacemaking women. And mm-hmm. in, there's a chapter in there about, about idols that women have. and, it talked about things like obedient children and a clean house and a good marriage. And a few of the women in our group, and, you know, they're from different backgrounds theologically, but a few of our women said, good, those are good things. They can't be idols. (laughs) And and actually I think those are the things more often than not that we struggle with making idols out of things that Mm -hmm. in and of themselves are not bad things, but we can turn them into idols. But do you do you think, and I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but do you think <laughs> those idols play into the lies that moms believe?
0: Absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I started the book with a lie that you might not Think would be in a motherhood book, but especially one coming from a a pretty conservative Christian writer. (laughs) But the first lie is the lie that motherhood is a woman's highest calling. And the reason why I believe that's a lie is that I go through and address the fact that our ultimate highest calling is, I believe, twofold one, to be an image bearer of God, and secondly, to be an ambassador of Christ. And then in the lives of of various women, married, single, moms, without kids, whatever, those different roles then are, are outworkings of that ultimate highest calling. And that ultimate highest calling are what give those other roles their meaning and their purpose. I mean, I feel like motherhood is so important and impactful because I view it as being great commission work. And I view it as a way to play out my ultimate highest calling of being an ambassador for Christ into the lives then of my kids and see them as my little disciples, if you will, you know, that I'm seeking to train and to teach and to love. And so when we view, because I know, you know, there are women, what (laughs) I'm passionate about this because the women that are struggling with infertility or the women who are single and desperately want to be married and want to be moms, if they hear that motherhood is a woman's highest calling, that has to be painful to hear because that almost sends the thought that we'll I'm less than if I'm not a mom or I don't have much purpose if I'm not a mom, but it can also affect moms too, because if you start to think that motherhood is your be all end all ultimate highest calling, then you're going to struggle with putting it above your marriage. You might struggle with, you know um, what your purpose is when you're an empty nester and your kids are no longer under your roof and you're not, you know, dealing with parenting on a 24 seven basis anymore. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, whether it's marriage or motherhood or how many followers you have on social media or whether you're impressing somebody with your parenting skills and how your kids are turning out. Those are all things that can definitely become idols, because anything that you place in more importance or that you crave or desire more than you do the Lord, that is an idol. And so it can be a really, really good thing. I adore my kids. I love being a mom. I, I don't remember this because I was so young, but my family's told me that um, I was probably three or four and someone asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, a mommy. I mean, that's all I can ever remember wanting to be. But being said that XYZ, then it's showing that my heart is in a wrong place there. And I am placing my kids or my mothering or whatever above the Lord in a sense. And, and it can happen too, if you find another lie in the book is that I'm to find my ultimate fulfillment in motherhood. Um, there's another one that's I'm to bl- to base my identity in motherhood. And, you know, our identity is to be found in Christ. Our, hi- our life is hidden with Christ in God. And that's supposed to be what uh, comprises our identity. And yet a lot of times we end up Placing our identity in our kids and and whether or not they're turning out (laughs) the way we want, Um, whether or not they're throwing temper tantrums on any given day in my case, because I've got toddlers. (laughs) So it's just, it can definitely um, impact your thinking and those day-to-day lies that can pop up for sure.
1: Yeah, I was actually thinking as you were talking that I I like what the Heidelberg Catechism says on Mm -hmm. what is idolatry. Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or addition Mm -hmm. to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word, which is really kind of how you were defining it. it. And I like also that you talked about identity because I think we see so much talk today. You look on social media, whether it's from within the church or out there in you know the secular sphere there's so much talk about our identity mm-hmm. and especially women i think that we're pressured to find our identity in something and our identity ultimately needs to be in Christ and i love that you talked about those women that struggle with infertility you know i have a, a couple of good friends who really struggled with infertility and they mm-hmm. felt they really felt a lot of pressure from, especially within the church,
0: yeah. you know,
1: they didn't net not everybody necessarily knew they were struggling with infertility and they've got people in the church. Like when are you going to have kids, yes. you know, and they, it, it made it actually more difficult for them and, and i think that sometimes there is like what you said that lie that being a mom is the highest calling yeah. and instead of finding our identity in christ who we are in christ as a child of god which which really i think is is where it's at and so that that sounds great i have not Read your book yet? But I look forward to reading it. I've got this stack next to my bed. I've got to get through. <laughs> me <but> too. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm putting it on my list for this summer. We it. we do some some traveling and out in our motorhome, and that's a a lot of times my reading time. And my oh husband my got me a hammock last year, so oh. we <laughs> find a camping spot and. A lot of times, hopefully, we can hang up the hammock and I can sit out there and read. Oh, that's perfect! Yeah, (laughs) it's wonderful, and it's up in the mountains, so not a lot of times, not super hot. Or I can, you know, do it early in the morning or late in the afternoon. And the other thing too is, in as you were talking, is I'm kind of on the other side. We will be empty nesters in a few years, Mm -hmm. and I think that. Even your relationship with your children evolves. It, it looks it looks different. My relationship with I've got my, my third son turns 18 next week and then I only have one under 18. I've got adult children. and and yet' I'm, I'm still called to be their mom and, mm-hmm. and, and invest in their lives. And, but it, it's different than maybe where you're at mm-hmm. right now. But yet, ultimately, it's because of who I am in Christ, not because being a mom is my highest calling, necessarily. (laughs) So, well, what we wanted to really talk about, and Rebecca and I have been chatting the last few weeks about this and just had some great conversations, especially because she's working on this book, On the Mommy Wars. If you didn't listen to our episode on The Mommy Wars Go back and listen to that. And just for those who haven't listened to that yet and don't know what that is, could you kind of just describe what we're talking about when we say the mommy wars?
0: Yeah, sure. So it it can affect or apply to a lot of different topics, but it's kind of that... Um, warrior mentality (laughs) that we see where women are, are kind of bickering with each other or judging each other on their parenting choices. Um, Everything from, you know, the early year issues of breastfeeding versus bottle feeding to, do you homeschool? Do you private school? Do you public school? Um, I've even seen it apply to literally, this is not a joke. I saw on a Facebook group, um, this happened where a mom turned her kids, her child's car seat around before the age of two, I think it was. And another mom just went ballistic about it and I get car seat safety is important. (laughs) I'm not denying that at all, but that just kind of shows the, um, the spirit behind it a lot. There's a lot of, um, even if there's not actual vocal name calling or or something like that, like you might see on Facebook, um, just kind of this underlying judgment on these issues that are of secondary importance. (laughs) They're not issues that the Lord has spoken to specifically, you know, thou shalt breastfeed or thou shalt co-sleep or whatever. Um, And so, but it's also, I was interesting to hear this when I was talking um, to my agent with the, um, book idea. And she said, you know, this lady, her, I think all her kids are grown. And she said, for someone like you, you know, you're seeing it in regards to what you do with your baby or your toddler. But she said, I see it myself, even at my age, I've seen my friends, um, judge each other and, and compare, um, you know, cause one mom's child made the sports team and another didn't, I mean, just all these different things where we're comparing and, um, kind of just sizing each other up on these issues and, you know, what you do versus what I do and what you think is right versus what I think is right. And it's more pervasive than some people might realize.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and I would say spending many years in homeschooling circles, and I know we've got a lot of homeschoolers out there and of course I'm not homeschooling any longer, but spending time, I sat also with, you know, my child could read when he was was five. Mm-hmm. And like I, at our homeschool co-op e- and having taught four children to read, I can tell you they all read, were ready at different times mm-hmm. and they, they all read well today, but you know, what, one of them could, could read a mini chapter book at five and another one, not till he was seven. Mm-hmm. And just because they're ready at different times. And, you know, I had one mom come to me and tell me that my child couldn't read well enough for mm. his age and this is when they were little okay this is like <laughs> you know six years old and it's like um he's sex and he, right. he's getting it, you know well my kid could do such and such and and mm. I think you're right that the judgment and I now as even though I definitely have faced this, I do think that it's gotten worse and I think it's partly because of social media. And I think it's, there's a lot of different things. I'm, I'm in a group with um, that have a lot of moms that are having babies now and have, have young children and just so many things. It's like, I, I didn't even know about this stuff Mm. when, when I was having kids, you know, like I'll even give the example of like the vaccine debate, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't a thing. And if it was, people didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I, I would sometimes find out later that someone didn't vaccinate, for instance, because it wasn't talked about. And I think that I'm not sure if it's social media where people seem to feel more the need to tell what they've chosen like, mm-hmm. um, and I, I saw in, in one group, like so much judgment on moms who got an epidural mm-hmm. and I just yes. like, I saw a couple of moms who said they got an epidural and my heart just kind of hurt mm-hmm. for that. Well, I, you know, someone was like, well, I would never get an epidural because <laughs> of, you know, these reasons. And, right. and sometimes you almost see a judgment on their spirituality, like yes. you're, you're it, it seems to be a mindset that if if you really love your children and you're really being the best mom that you can be, then you either are going to vaccinate or you aren't going to vaccinate. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll judge how good of a mom you are based on this decision. And like you said, these are not things that Scripture speaks to. Scripture does not say thou must breastfeed. Right. You know, it's a wonderful option, but some women for whatever reason or they have a hard time with it or or choose not to, it is not a biblical issue. No. And but I think some of these things are turned into biblical issues. Absolutely. when, when they shouldn't be and so I am so excited about this book. It's something that I'll yeah. definitely be recommending to our listeners. So let's I want to talk though about relationships in the church because I know we face this on social media, but we don't face this just on social media. We're facing this in our own
0: churches, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> we are. And it that's the thing that that grieves me. I mean, you expect this kind of attitude with people who wouldn't know better per se. I mean, maybe a a weird way to put it, but for those of us who, you know, value the word of God and who are, are seeking to um, grow in him hopefully and all of those things like this kind of judgmental nature, this kind of um, just, there's a lot of issues really that are causing friendships and relationships in the church to not, be what they could be or what I believe the Lord would want them to be. Um, and we're described and referred to as the body of Christ. We're supposed to be unified and be not that, you know, you have to approve of every single little thing your brother or sister is doing. If like, if they're insane, I'm not saying approve of it, but there isn't, there needs to be this spirit in which, you know what? We're all, if we are believers in Christ, if we're saved, we are, part of the same body and should be viewing each other as image bearers of God. I had um, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield on my podcast a few months ago, and I loved something that she said. She said, we need to quit viewing people who sin differently than we do (laughs) as somehow being a lesser image bearer of God. She's like, everybody you ever meet is an image bearer of God. And that deserves a little bit of respect, (laughs) you know, a little bit of honor just by nature of them being made in Christ or in God's image. Um, and so her point at that, um, in that conversation was that, you know, we need to be exhibiting love for one another. Jesus said that the world would know that we're his because of how we loved each other. And so it's not just even a matter of, um, your social media etiquette or, you know, how many friends do you have? Or, you know, are you having people into your home every week or something like that? It's also our, our, just our witness and the picture we're presenting to the world of what Christianity is all about, who Christ was, what he's like, um, because we're his representatives. Like we said at the beginning, we really were called to be his ambassadors and we're just not always doing a very good job of it.
1: Right. And and there's I this is not an exact quote but it was something like this I heard from an apologist and it was an article where he was talking about something that apologists around him disagree. So something and and some bad behavior among them that was out on display for the world and he mm-hmm. said how do we look to the world when we treat one another like this? And that just really stuck with me. Really hit me hard because a lot of this actually is out there for the world to see, Mm -hmm. especially when we're airing it on social media. And I've even seen, I saw a debate, it was on Twitter, and a couple of Christians were just going at it, okay, Mm. on something. It doesn't even matter what it was. And somebody came into the conversation and said, this is why I left the church. And it just broke my heart, you know, because that's, that's out there. And and to be clear, we do distinguish, we are definitely not saying that you shouldn't call out false doctrine, that you shouldn't right. call out sin. There is a way to do that. Scripture definitely says that we must do that. And there are ways to do that. And I think yes. Scripture speaks to that. But at the same time, when we take secondary issues, or let, let's not even say secondary issues, let's say things that, that are matters of Christian liberty. Mm-hmm. And when When I say things are matters of Christian liberty, Scripture doesn't speak to it. We have liberty to like breastfeed or bottle feed, Mm -hmm. maybe vaccinate, not vaccinate when we turn those into primary issues. And I think sometimes that's what's what's happening.
0: Yes. And the problem is we're so busy doing that, that we're forgetting to actually be in the word. (laughs) we're focusing on these things that are not in the word to the negligence of those things that actually are. And so many conversations I see happen on social media between moms have to do with those secondary issues. You don't see very many conversations about, Hey, how are you training up your children in the way they should go today? You know, (laughs) like, how can I encourage you in that? How are you raising your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? What's that look like for you? Like, do you have any advice for that? Or what's working really well for you right now? It's always. I mean, I don't want to say always, but a lot of times it's, you know, what decision did you make with how you're going to feed your baby? Like you said, or, you know, what school or, and it's not that we can't talk about those things, but it's that the spirit in which we do so oftentimes isn't a good one, but also that we are so focused and zeroed in on those things that are not of eternal significance you know, that we're forgetting the things that are. And it reminds me of that passage where I believe it's in first Timothy or second Timothy, but Paul's talking about, you know, um, physical exercise and things like that are of some importance, like some benefit, some value, but godliness is really what your focus needs to be. That is beneficial for all things and eternally beneficial. Um, And yet we're really, we're getting those things mixed up and it may not be conversations on exercise, but it's still applicable. We're, we're still talking about and focusing primarily on those things that don't affect the souls of our children while we're not so much focusing on those things, which do.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Well, what I'd like to do is step back for a second and, and look at scripture and say, and, and ask you what should, those relationships in the church look like, and let's specifically among our sisters, and mm-hmm. not that our relationships with our brothers aren't also important. But let, I want to focus on that, and just in my, you know, what comes to my own mind is, first of all, we're we're actually called sisters, mm-hmm. and it doesn't it doesn't say friends? It it uses. Sister, I mean, we were brothers and sisters, and we're Mm -hmm. like you said of the same body. And I, I also think of like in First Peter one, where it talks about loving one another deeply or fervently, depending on the version. And that that's a verse that's really convicted me Mm -hmm. on my relationships in the church. What does it mean to love my sisters deeply or fervently? Mm -hmm. So what what do you think those relationships should look like?
0: Yeah. Well, oh, I love that picture, you know, cause as you're talking about sisters, I don't have any biological sisters. I have four sisters in law. Um, but still even so just that picture of, um, that familial bond. And when you think about a sister, you hopefully are wanting to protect her and defend her and, um, You're hopefully not going to want to do anything that is going to harm her in any way or, um, you know, and so it's not even just, you know, hopefully our friends, we we view them that way, too. But it's almost a more intimate relationship. And I just think of that passage in um, Proverbs that says, you know, we're to be like iron that sharpens iron. And I'm so blessed to have some real in-person, in-real-life friendships that are that way, that, you know, they're filled with grace and truth. You know, they're not afraid to, um, talk about hard things with me. They're not afraid to, you know, if, if, um, I need some accountability or something like that, they're willing to give that and they are going to consistently point me to the Lord. But there there's also this grace, this love, this humility there, um, that makes it clear that they only want my best interests and they only you know, they're coming alongside me. They're not like viewing me as, Oh, well, you know, I don't struggle with X, Y, Z. It's a me too. Like, you know, I have a sin nature too. I'm being sanctified too. And let me come alongside you and be that companion that can point you to the Lord when you're having a hard time or when you're really struggling, um, in your faith or whatever the situation may be. And I love what one lady said that I, I think she was, um, someone I follow on Instagram, I want to say, but she said, you know, I want friends that love God even more than they love me, because if they do, then they're going to be willing to sometimes say the hard things now in a, in a loving way and a spirit of, you know, love and speaking the truth in love, but they're going to be willing to say the hard things sometimes and not just the things that I would want them to say. <laughs> um, but in that process, you know, just that supportive, um, building one another up mentality and not wanting to tear each other down, but wanting to see each other succeed in our walk with the Lord and be strong and not succeed in a, you know, salvation type way as if you have to, um, as if you could lose your salvation or something, but just in a day by day, um, way in which you're just walking ever closer with him. And, and another thing though, I kind of hinted at this already is, I value the friendships I have and the women I know who are so real and not necessarily in a um, downtrodden, like discouraging way, but just also showing their struggles, their real life um, situations. And because one of the hindrances, I think to this type of relationship is just this perfectionism and this kind of comparison culture we're in. Um, But when you can have a friend who or a sister, truly, um, who is real and, like I said a minute ago, just is willing to share that, yeah, they struggle too, but together, you know, you're pointing each other to the Lord. Um, that's just such a gift, and I think that has to be one of the reasons why we're told in Hebrews to not um, forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I mean, I believe that, obviously, we need to be under good teaching, and there's that aspect of it as to why that's given, um, that verse there, but in addition to being under good teaching and, and having that that pastor and that overseer over you, um, I just I think that if we're going to walk in a, a strong Christian walk, you know, we we need someone to be there um, alongside us. It's in Ecclesiastes, I believe, that says, "Woe to the one who's alone when he falls." He needs someone you need to pick him back up and to to be there with him, and so. That's really the picture of friendship that I see in the word um in various passages, just this um humble, loving, grace-filled, true, iron-sharpening iron, um wanting what's best for the other person, um, thinking more highly of the other person, you know, than yourself. I think that's in Colossians. Um but it's just, it's a beautiful picture. And it's not that it's always going to be perfect. Every one of us still has that sin nature that we, we do um, battle that flesh, but, you know, as we can try to cultivate that um, by God's grace, it really is such a gift. And, you know, I hear moms all the time, uh, especially young moms like myself with kids that are you know close together in age or just in those little years talk about, well, I'm just too busy for friendship. I'm just too busy to meet with friends. And I wrote a blog post um, for a friend of mine, her blog, and I. the title of it was, Mama, You're Too Busy Not to Have Friends or Not to Pursue uh, Friendship. And because we we have so many roles and responsibilities as women that we are seeking to live out that we need each other. And I would not be the mom that I am, and I'm not a perfect mom by any means, but I wouldn't be the mom that I am or seeking to grow in that if it weren't for these friends that I have that are always pointing me to the Lord in such a gracious way.
1: Yeah. I, and when, and when, one thing that you were talking about that made me think when, when those friends come to you, let's say to say the hard things, it's not for the purpose of tearing you down. Right. It's actually driven by their love for God and for you. Yes. And, and it's with grace and wisdom and, and love for you and, and their desire to see you sanctified. But mm-hmm. I think there's, you also talked a little bit about kind of that, the competition, mm-hmm. you know, and, The church is not um, about a competition on (laughs) who has the cleanest house or is the best mom or those sorts of things. And it it can be very easy to to fall into that, even at the age my my kids ages, you know, Mm -hmm. where, oh, well, my son's going to such and such college Mm -hmm. or my son has a job making this much money or I mean, it's it's so I mean, I am even guilty of falling into some of these. Oh yeah, yeah. what what are some of what are some of the barriers to mm-hmm. those relationships that you see in the church? I mean, I think we've talked a little bit about some of them, but what are some of those?
0: hmm Yeah, I think, well, for one, just not understanding how important these relationships are. You know, that's kind of that first step. You have to realize that it's something worth giving your time to. Um And social media not just has exaggerated and amplified the mommy war problem, which definitely negatively (laughs) impacts our relationships in the church, but it's also kind of replaced those in-person relationships with faces on a screen. Um, And now don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I literally do have a couple friends I can think of off the top of my head that I've never met in person, but who know all the ins and outs of my life, you know? So you can definitely cultivate those close like-minded friendships with people on social media. That is a gift, you know, that we, we are able to have sometimes, but I think so often, whether it's through busyness, um, and not prioritizing in-person friendships, or whether it's through finding all of our friendships online, um, we just are not taking the time required to build up those friendships in person and I mean as a woman we women struggle so much with this I think because we sometimes are given to like you said you know the, the competition the comparison the perfectionism the basing your identity and what people think of you and whether or not they approve of your choices um Instead of basing our identity and who we are in Christ and realizing we don't have anything to prove, we don't have anyone we have to impress, the only one whose opinion ultimately matters. Now, we need to, you know, obviously, um, like we've already said, be gracious and um, seek to present a, a good godly picture of Christ, you know, church and, and his bride. But um, ultimately speaking, the primary one that we need to focus on, you know, having his approval is the Lord. And if we're saved, we've got it. (laughs) and It's not going anywhere, you know? Um, And because once you're saved, I mean, you're, you're imputed with the righteousness of Christ. And that is what God the father sees when he looks at you. And so I think if we, as women could rest in that more than we do oftentimes, and I do not always rest in it, I can tell you, but if we did more so, I think it would make these friendships and these relationships easier. Because we wouldn't be so focused on ourselves and on what do they think about me? How am I coming across? Do they like me? But it would be kind of a focus on the other woman. The how can I serve her? How can I be an encouragement to her? How can I, again, like we said, build her up? Um, I think that would make a huge difference. And, you know, really along with the mommy wars, um, we talked about this actually on Facebook the other day. We live in this research culture <laughs> where um at our fingertips we have all of this wisdom and knowledge and in, insight and information on really anything. And that can be a huge blessing and, and really can be something that you benefit from, but it can also make everyone into an expert. And so because there are experts out there that give varying um information on both sides and studies that show opposite things. We can each think we're the expert and we know the, the uh, truth on whatever topic we're researching. And then we find someone whose research maybe has um, uncovered something different. And then we go right back to the whole mommy worst thing. Um, and suddenly we're like, no, that's not right. This is right. Oh, I read this article and you read that article. And, um, I don't want to blame the internet for everything, but there is a sense in which too often we allow it to be a problem <laughs> instead of a tool that we can wield for yeah. the kingdom. It becomes yep. an issue.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, it, there, there's so much good with the internet, but mm-hmm. there are there. It, I mean, that the thing that you just said about, you know, everyone's an expert. That's, yeah. that's something that I've, thought about a lot recently and in, in fact yesterday online somebody said well well most scholars <laughs> <laughs> and it was something I knew something about and I'm like um yeah that's not true <laughs> But those scholars, <laughs> yeah, most. I'm like, um, yeah, and I even even called a couple of my friends. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this isn't accurate, and they're like, No, 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 that's not accurate. But most scholars, <laughs> and and the other thing is, I think people. It's it's very easy to like say something very confidently. Yeah. So whatever, whatever it is, you if you have an epidural, your your baby mm-hmm. will struggle with breastfeeding. Yes, and, exactly. And the for sure thing. <laughs> he absolutely will.
0: And, yes. um, you know, or
1: whatever, whatever it is. Well,
0: it's like, I, you know, I've got two children in the first one I actually had at home with a midwife and that was my plan with the second, but looking back by God's grace, he um, had some pride he saw in my heart that he wanted to take care of, I think. (laughs) And so with my second, I, it's a long story, but I, um, to make it short, I developed a blood clot in my leg and had to be on blood thinners. And that's kind of scary. And so they said, no, a hospital birth is what you have to have. And I said, okay. And then um, because I was more high risk at that point, I had regular ultrasounds and at my 30, almost 38 week ultrasound, they said, your amniotic fluid is really low. And so they induced me later that night. And if that won't change <laughs> your outlook, I don't know what will, because now I know I didn't yes, have I've been epi- induced <laughs> Yes, and I didn't end up having an epidural with him, but cause he came so fast but I would have probably like, I mean, it was so much more intense. It was so much harder. And, but yet, you know, you'll also hear, Oh, well, if you're induced with Pitocin, that's going to end in a cesarean. Well, it might, but, um, my son was born vaginally, so it doesn't have to, you know, (laughs) like, that's not an automatic thing. If you do this, that will happen. But I'm grateful looking back as challenging as that season was, I'm so grateful because even though after I had my daughter, I didn't readily recognize in my heart this pride over having her at home. Um, When I couldn't have my son at home, it was like, oh, I had this subconscious thought that, you know, I had it all together. And and these other moms just, I don't know what their problem is, you know? And so now though, I'm like, no, praise the Lord for medical, modern medical interventions that save lives, (laughs) you know? Yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and and I I was actually
1: um, induced with all of mine because mm-hmm. my body just my body just doesn't like to go into labor, <laughs> and I, you know, and each time e- either I was either I was um, past due or the baby was stressed or something, mm-hmm. and. And I didn't have any cesareans, so I'll just say that for the record. And yeah. I did get epidurals with every single one. They didn't mm-hmm. always work, but yeah. I did. I did get, <laughs> I did get them. But I, I've actually seen a lot of times with with new moms too when you're when you're hearing everybody else's birth story, mm-hmm. and you know that you know I was in labor for forty eight hours at home and. You know, <laughs> Or whatever it is. I think that you can have this expectation of of what your birth story will be. I mean, this is yes. just one example. And or I mean, this can even happen with homeschooling. I'm gonna school my kids perfectly and they're gonna read by the time they're four, you know, whatever. We have <laughs> some plan in our mind of what something's gonna look like. And when it doesn't turn out that way, like with your story, it can be devastating. Yes. You know, I I've had I've had that in in my own life my kids were never going to go to school and but i had never planned i didn't plan on getting sick and, mm-hmm. and not being and being hospitalized and and not being able to school my kids anymore and i think the lord does use that though, definitely yes. to humble us and and i had to even deal with some idols that i had in my own life regarding my children and mm-hmm. and being a mom and but the lord uses those things for good well i i think we probably have women out there that are saying okay i i hear you i i hear what relationships should look like i i i agree with some of the things that we're up against some of those barriers but what can i do to encourage these relationships in my own church
0: Mm -hmm. i think we have to go first you know if we realize what it should look like hopefully um we're going to have to be willing to take the time and to be interruptible. Perhaps that's one thing I struggle with is I didn't realize that I had any type A tendencies at all. Um, I was very type B until I became a mom. And then, um, all the other things that I have started, you know, since then the past few years, I mean, I have become more type A and my plan and my to-do list and my, this, 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 and this. And I have realized that, Whether, you know, you're a mom with young children or whether you're just a woman who, um, you know, is busy with work or ministry or whatever, we have to be willing to be interruptible um, and have our schedule maybe (laughs) thrown off kilter a little bit. Um, Hospitality is another big thing. I have found so much richness in just having people over or just going to coffee with somebody, you know, that taking that first step can be something as simple as just, hey, would you meet me at this coffee shop on this day? Or, or what day are you free? Or even just when you're at church. Um, at, growing up, I was always shy. And so I was terrible at talking to anybody new <laughs> at church. I was just the worst. And I still struggle with that. But I think there's so much richness to be found in looking for the person that maybe is sitting by themselves at church or who looks like they're just having a hard day or whatever it is and just striking up a conversation. And it can be hard to think about, you know, what am I going to talk about with someone that I don't know? Um, but you can find something probably, you know, um, and just taking that first step and just having a a relationship with the Lord, I think is so important. And that's the foundation of rich relationship with him, because as soon as you are in the word on a daily basis, as much as possible, you know, and you're, um, and prayer and, and all of those things, and you're really cultivating that relationship. I think you begin to find that your priorities get changed a little bit, <laughs> and um, the Lord begins to work in your heart and kind of align your um, priorities with His a little bit more. And so, even though some people might not see reading the Word as being like the most practical step, I think it is because in order to take these thoughts captive, we have to know the Word, and it really does impact. Um, just our day to day lives and our relationships. And sometimes I think prayer um, is very important with this. I mean, sometimes you may be at a church where you're thinking, I just, I don't see um, the opportunity for any of those kind of friendships here. I just, I don't see it. Sometimes you got to pray and, and believe that the Lord will work and um, ask that He would, you know, prepare your heart for those kind of friendships and that. He would bring those kinds of people into your life. Um, But I think it definitely starts with just having that priority in the first place and being willing to maybe do the hard thing or the awkward thing (laughs) Um, and just go first.
1: Yeah, and and I would say even if if you are somebody who is in a church where there's a lot of that competition, a lot Mm -hmm. of that judgment, you can be an example by not falling into those traps, by Mm -hmm. trying to be different, you know, I mean, a trendsetter of sorts Mm -hmm. that we can have, we can have these close relationships that don't have to include those things. And, and I love that you talked about hospitality. That's something my husband and I love so much. And we've gone to new churches where people don't really have people over and we'll make a, we're usually in small churches. We'll make a list of everybody in the church. So somebody that we might not hang out with, Normally, our Mm -hmm. lives are so different, and yet we are united in Christ. And one thing we've seen is when we start having people over, other people start having people over. Oh, I love that. And so you can't, I mean, there is a sense where you kind of can start a trend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I actually in the future want to do a podcast on hospitality because I know it scares some people like <laughs> I, I can't cook for that many people and you know i i actually had an older pastor's wife that gave me a lot of really practical tips so that sunday after church i can have 15 people over and not feel overwhelmed and That's prepare hard. for that and you you can do it even if you're not the most organized person you you can do it very simply You don't have to make it complicated because it's actually not about what food you serve or Mm -hmm. if your house is perfect. It's a, and trust me, people are, are not there for the food or your house. Mm -mm. They're there for the fellowship. So I, I would encourage, encourage that. And, you know, Sunday afternoon is too overwhelming, you know, do Saturday lunch or a Friday evening or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever works for you and your family. And you can do it with even when you have young children, I I definitely did. And, you know, start small. You Mm -hmm. can have, if if it's too overwhelming, have people over for dessert on Sunday evening after church Mm -hmm. or, you know, something, something small. It's, it's very doable. And I know that some, sometimes people are in churches or in smaller churches, maybe they don't even have people their own age. And I want to talk just a little bit about how those relationships may differ somebody that's maybe more of a peer and or if you're somebody that's older or younger. And mm-hmm. I had an older woman who told me well, I wasn't that old at the time. I think I was probably just a little over 30. And she said, "You are the older wim- woman to somebody." Yes. And so You you might be 25 and you can be the older woman to an 18 year old or a 20 year old, or you may be 25 and and have a 35 or a 45 year old in your life that, that kind of plays out that Titus two relationship. So how do those, how do those differ?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And I love that topic because that's kind of another aspect that has been, um, Unfortunately, hindered by a lot of these things is that you know, Titus 2 picture. And for me, I have friends who are my peer group, and I also have women who are not. And what I see is that, and we need both, I will say we definitely need both, and we also need to have those people that we're pouring into, like you said, you know, that there's a concept, or there's a truth really to that verse that says don't let anyone despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. And so no matter how old you are, you can be used by God. You can encourage, you can teach, you know, your um, younger friends or whatever that looks like. But for me, I think those peer friendships are helpful when it comes to having someone that understands exactly what you're going through in that season. Maybe it's someone who's in a similar season to you um, having similar experiences. I have a couple of good friends that um, we're going through um, a book right now by Gloria Furman um, on motherhood. And um, both of these friends have two little ones. Well, actually one has um, two little ones and one is pregnant with her second. So she does have two little ones, but um, the second one hasn't been born yet, but I have two little ones myself. And so we're able to really, um, relate and be that shoulder to cry on almost on the hard days, but when it comes to, and we need that, we definitely need to be understood and have someone that's like, yes, I know what it's like to be up all night long. Um, but I think those tightest two relationships and having those relationships with those older women, it, it gives you that big picture perspective, that you don't get so much from the friends that are in the same season. Um, that's where kind of the encouragement comes from in some ways is the friends that are in the same season, but the the older ones also encourage in the sense that they can mentor you and give you that overhead view, that big picture perspective that, you know, they can relate to you and say, yeah, 20 years ago, like I get it. I was there, but there's life beyond that. And you don't get stuck in that season all your life, <laughs> however challenging it may be. Um, they can really provide a wisdom and insight that I'm sure only comes with age and with experience and life and um, the ups and the downs. And so I truly believe that we need both. I believe that we need to be both, you know, the um, mentor and the one being mentored. (laughs) Um, And I think that's just the way the body of Christ was meant to operate again. And we are, kind of hindered a little bit. Ultimately, you know, we have the Holy spirit within us. And so he's ultimately the one that sanctifies and grows us. But at the same time, I believe that he does use people, um, to impact us and to, um, teach us what, what he would have us to learn. And so I think we're really hindered in a lot of ways when we don't have that Titus two model, um, in effect where we have those women that, Speak into our lives, and unfortunately, that's like I said, that's another area where the research culture is kind of um, having a negative impact because it's so much easier for a young mom like myself to hop on Google and find an article on how do you get your child to sleep or or whatever it is instead of going to that older mom that's doing a life with you that's that knows you, hopefully, and and um, who if you have the time to cultivate, if you're giving the time to cultivate that kind of relationship, who can know your family dynamics more than the person on the other side of the computer screen that just wrote an article, but doesn't know your situation. Um, So I just think we, we do ourselves a disservice when we don't cultivate these relationships, but when we do try to seek them out and we do try to be those people for others, there's just such a richness to it. And you really begin to see what it means to be, sisters in Christ and be part of the same body.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I would say, because I have heard this from women where, um, from women in our Facebook group or that I've met online where they've come and said, well, I just don't know any of the older women in the church. They're not yeah. seeking me out. If if you t- seek them out, yes. you know what? Um, If you, if you go to an older woman in the church and say, you know what, I'd really love to have you over some afternoon, you know, just have tea and the kids will be playing over there, but just spend some time with you. I, I think most women are going to, are going to jump at that, mm-hmm. that opportunity. They maybe don't know how to cultivate that mm-hmm. or they're not. I, I mean, I can tell you as a woman that's a little older that sometimes we we feel like the younger women don't really want Mm -hmm. um, our input or to have that sort of relationship with us. And so I, I'm fairly certain that most of those older women in your church would jump at that opportunity to have a relationship with you.
0: Yes. And I'm thinking like, if I were to put myself in an older woman's shoes, I can't imagine how hard that would be probably to initiate because again, we live in that time of experts and, I'm just like, if I were, you know, could put myself in the shoes of just a 60 year old woman, let's just say to, to pick a number, I would probably find it very intimidating to reach out to a younger woman and try to pour into her in that way. Because I, my personality is such that I would be um, concerned about, oh, is, is she going to think I'm a know-it-all or or intrusive or, you know, all those things that in our culture were very independent and very um I'm going to do it my way. I know what's best. And imagine how challenging that would be for an older woman to kind of combat that. And in spite of that culture, go ahead and initiate herself.
1: (laughs) Right. And and I would say, too, if if you're the older woman that that's thinking, I don't know how to do that, do the same thing, you know, Mm -hmm. seek out a younger woman in your church get together maybe you start with with having her and her husband over i can tell you if you've got if you've got empty nesters in your church have them over mm-hmm. they will love that they will appreciate that they will i know that when we've had older couples over when our kids were younger we'd have older couples over and they would just love it. They love playing Aww. with our kids. You know, sometimes their grandkids were miles away, so they didn't get to see them often. And, mm. you know, my kids ended up with a surrogate grandparents, you know, in some instances. And so, so, and I know it can be scary. I trust me. I, I'm not somebody that's good at just walking up to people and saying, hey, can you come over? You know, it's, yeah. it's a scary thing for some of us. It doesn't come as naturally. I'm not the bubbly talk to everyone person. So so it doesn't come as naturally to me. And I I know my mom's the same way. And so she she kind of gave me some different tips on stepping outside, you know, my comfort zone on, on some of that. And see, my mom has been kind of like that to me in many uh, ways. So, great. well, Rebecca, this has just been so enjoyable for me to talk mm-hmm. to you. And I think we've just covered so much. I'm, I'm grateful that we got to so many different topics here. I am going to be linking several things in the episode notes. I definitely want you to go and check out Rebecca's
0: book and we're going to link that. Do you have any idea when your second book is going to come out? I don't know yet. I'm still kind of in that book proposal phase. <laughs> okay. So it's going to
1: be a little while
0: it down the road. It will be a road. little while. It will be a little okay. while. So well, a <laughs>
1: yeah, well, when it does come out, we'll definitely be letting our listeners know. But some of these things you've written about yes. um, at at your blog and and we're gonna link. We're gonna link some specific articles, and there is a couple that you mentioned that um, if I don't have them, I'll get from you. Okay. Make sure we link those because they may be of interest. Someone maybe heard you. You talked about the the you know you can't afford not to have the friendships one, mm-hmm. and I I am sure some people are saying, "Oh, I want to read that." And I, I just want to reiterate what you've said that these relationships in the church are so important, and I think it's so easy for us. To not seek them out, to not have those relationships. And I think sometimes, especially in our own churches, it's um, a lot of times I know, like, my closest friends are not in my church. My closest friends are, you know, people I've known for 20 years or, or longer. And and so sometimes I might not even feel like I need those relationships. but when when we're in the church, we, we should be cultivating those. These are the people that hopefully we're we're doing life with. Yes. And I, I always think back to several years ago i I had a situation where I got really sick one mm-hmm. night. My husband had to rush me to the e r about eleven at night, and my Appendix was about to rupture, so yeah. I I had to have my appendix out. I was in the hospital for a few days, and I I'll never forget. I I got home from the hospital. Two women from church were were in my home, watching my children, doing my laundry, and cooking up meals for the week. Oh. And and I just thought that this is where it's at, right here. Yes. I mean. So sometimes that's what it looks like on a very practical level. And that just meant so much to me. Like to this day, I just think very fondly upon that.
0: That just made me think about, um, we started attending a new church when, right before I got pregnant with James. And so no one there really knew us yet. Um, you know, we hadn't become members officially yet and all of that. And I got pregnant with him, and first I was out for a while because I always get really sick, you know, with that all day so-called morning sickness. And then at 15 weeks was when the blood clot hit, and was in the hospital overnight um, and all that. And when I got out of the hospital and came home, I had a message on my phone um, from a lady at the church, and I she was one of the first ones that I had met there um, a couple months prior, and but she still didn't know me that well, and she said, "Let me know." how our church is is called Concord. Um, And she's like, let me know how the, the folks at Concord can serve you and your family in this time. And it just blew me away. And to make a long story short, she set up a meal schedule. And because the blood clot was so bad, like I couldn't really be on my feet very much at all because of the pain. And so literally like for a couple weeks there, there were women from the church every few days showing up and Delivering meals to us, and I remember turning to my husband. And I was like, "That is the body of Christ in action. That right there right. is the hands and feet of Christ." And it was just, it blessed us so much. It's, it just made such a huge difference, and was such a relief to me during a really, really hard right. time.
1: And and that can often even be a spiritual encouragement to someone. You know, with uh, having health issues, and yeah. I, I've had. I've had so many meals brought to us. I mean, I couldn't even count and, and people coming and cleaning my house and things like that, which have just been such a huge, huge blessing. And I'm just so grateful. And I think sometimes I, I know that some women say it's so hard for me to accept help or, or ask for help, but this is, this is part of what the church looks like. Yes. And and you shouldn't feel bad if, if you're in a situation, you've got health issues or you've got um, maybe a high risk pregnancy or whatever the situation is. You know, it's it's OK to ask for help. Mm-hmm. It's OK to accept that help. If somebody calls you like they did to Rebecca and says, what what can we do to help you right now? Tell them, tell cool. them what would be of help to you, because that's that's what um, that's what some. Women from my church did. They called and said, what can we do to help you? And I said, you know, I just I can't clean the house. My kids can do some, but it would be nice every few weeks just to have my house cleaned well. Mm. And and they said, well, consider it done. And We're also going to bring you a few meals a week. And just it it's such an encouragement just to see the church function in that way.
0: Yes. And I I struggle with being super self-sufficient, kind of like Mm -hmm. what you were saying. I do too. (laughs) I had a friend just mildly rebuke me and say, you know what, when you're just denying the person the ability to help you and you're like, oh, I can do it myself. I'm good. No, no, we don't need anything. Nothing's wrong then you're denying that person the blessing of having the opportunity to serve and the joy that comes with helping another person and i thought oh my <laughs> like that's actually something to think about
1: right and i i was always the person that was off doing things for other people and yes. i do not exactly. i do not accept help well no, but the lord really had to work in me and i and i realized i need to be thankful that they're offering it. And I also was at the point where I I really, really needed it. I (laughs) I could do very little physically on my own and it was going to be such a help to our family and, and also just accepting it for, for the sake of my family. So, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, you know, I, and if you're in a church where there isn't a lot of that stuff, that's another way that you can be a trendsetter. And even if you Mm -hmm. aren't, you can't like, I can't make meals for everyone be the person who starts the meal train and
0: yes.
1: calls, you know, so-and-so is going, is, you know, been in the hospital or, you know, is, they've had a death in their family or whatever it is and, and call the women in your church. Hey, would you be willing to make a meal? Mm-hmm. And you can be the person to set that up, you know, or, or you can go and maybe, you know, another one, you don't have the time to do it, but you go to another couple women in the church. Hey, do you know anyone who might be willing to set this up or mm-hmm. You know, don't take on everything yourself. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I I really think that when asked, a lot of people are willing to help. I yes. I really think that that's the case. So, well, Rebecca, we thank you so much for coming on. This this was just wonderful. So, for our listeners, we're going to have all of all of the links on the website if you want a chance to win a copy of her book, go to our Facebook page or our Twitter, there will be information there how you can be entered into that little contest. And um, we thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week.